You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. <laughs> Welcome to Real Vision. It's Friday, October 23rd, 2020, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington, joined shortly by our co-founder and CEO, Rao Powell. But first, with the day's stories, Jack Farley. Thanks, Ash. Risk assets fell today as stimulus talks faded. U.S. equities backslid alongside oil. That was before they recovered, ending up on the day. Meanwhile, U.S. Treasuries caught a robust bid. Talking about intraday price action is great, but to be honest, there's a story on my radar that's a little in the weeds. It's shocking and important. Two words, CLO ETFs, Collateralized Loan Obligation Exchange Traded Funds. These arcane instruments have arrived at our shores, and I think that their very existence speaks volumes about the state of our credit markets. Let me explain. A CLO is a type of structured credit, which is a sector of the fixed income market that also includes asset-backed securities and mortgage-backed securities. Basically, it consists of below investment-grade loans, and the risk is spread across various tranches. It may remind you of a CDO, the brainchild of Wall Street that greatly aggravated the mortgage meltdown that led to the 2008 Great Financial Crisis, and you'd be right in noticing this similarity. They serve the same function in diversifying risk by bundling hundreds, sometimes thousands of securities into one financial entity. Well, that's at least what they'd say. So now we get to the ETF part. The first of these mutant securities was created in August. It only invests in AAA securities. Its ticker is AAA. How cute. Now on Monday, only a few days ago, we have our second CLO ETF, and it invests 90% in AAA rated CLOs. Oh, and by the way, when a CLO is rated AAA, it doesn't mean the underlying loans are AAA. In fact, they're very often sub-investment grade or junk loans, meaning double B or lower. So it's quite literally a pile of junk. So let's look at an example. In this second ETF that went public on Monday, Janice Henderson, let's pick a CLO in it, Magnetite XIX. All right, so Magnetite XIX is rated AAA. Now let's see the collateral composition, the loans. All right, so the highest rated debt is double B. There's a lot of single B and even some triple C as well. The argument for why asset-backed securities can be rated higher than their constituent collateral is that the enhanced diversification compensates for that lower credit. But we saw how that played out in 2008 with CDOs. Here's another thing about CLOs. Their constituent loans are extremely illiquid, meaning they rarely trade. But these loans are being packaged into CLOs, which are now being packaged into an ETF or an exchange-traded fund that you can buy or sell on your iPhone. So there's an explosion in asset liability mismatches and a deterioration of credit quality that's being masked by the securitization. Oh, that's another thing. The same old games are being played by the rating agencies. There's a new paper out from MIT and the University of Texas on the risks embedded within CLOs. They found that between March and April, 25% of the collateral, remember that's the loans, feeding into CLOs was downgraded by S&P and Moody's. So the ratings agencies downgraded the loans by 25%. How much did they downgrade in the CLOs themselves? 2%, just 2%. For Moody's, it was 1.75%. And for all of these potential risks that investors are taking, what's the big payout? It's like 150 basis points over treasuries. Talk about picking up nickels and dimes in front of a steamroller. All right, I think I'm done. Sorry I couldn't bring you some nice price action today, but I had to get that off my chest. 
If you get a chance, check out Raul's interview with Danielle DiMartino Booth today about what the bond market is indicating about the macro picture. It's a must watch. Also, I check out Raul's interview with Hedgeye Keith McCullough, as well as Ed's interview yesterday with legendary value investor Joel Greenblatt. With that, let's go over to Ash and Raul. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Raul, welcome back. I was really pleased you started the intro with gusto today. It was a statement of intent. Always, always. So, Raul, uh, it's good to have you back. I know you've been thinking uh, about a lot of different things, macro, crypto. What's top of your mind today? It's a really stupid question, Ash. Obviously, it's Bitcoin. Right? Bitcoin had a week. It was up, I don't know, at one point this week, it was up about 15% um, since we last spoke last Friday. It's something that is starting to permeate into the narrative of everybody. I, I put out the piece that everybody's seen now on um, Sunday night about the move towards the central bank digital currencies and what that means. Yeah. And then hot on that is PayPal then announced that they're accepting crypto. Sounds like they're trying to buy crypto businesses. You know, the narrative just keeps moving forwards. I mean, even today I got given by a ton of people, JP Morgan's latest research on crypto. You know, it's like, okay, this is going to the mainstream faster than people imagine. Yeah. Uh, and it's a, it's a very exciting time. And I even wrote for uh, Macro Insiders a whole piece about this, which was actually a GMI piece from a couple of months ago called The Best Trade in the World. And it's all about Bitcoin. Yeah. So we'll file my opening question under the the, uh, term rhetorical question. (laughs) Yeah. So I've been hyper-focused on that. And we'll talk about some of the other market stuff. but, But, you know, I was just I was just speaking to a family office uh, friend of mine just now just before I came on this, and we were talking through markets, and he just said, "Well, every trade I look at, Bitcoin is currently a superior trade." Right. And I, I don't know if people remember Alex Gurevich's bond trade that he had for years, and he was always saying bonds were the superior trade to almost every outcome um, in a risk-adjusted basis. And that's what Bitcoin feels like right now. If I look at the relative chart of Bitcoin versus gold or gold versus Bitcoin, gold's breaking down. Equities versus Bitcoin, equities are breaking down. Um, Almost everything in the world is breaking down versus Bitcoin as it's becoming the key narrative, I think. And I think it will be the key narrative for next year. And that's backed by, you know, again, you know, I bored people ad nauseam about it, but it's the fact that the virus is continuing its growth. There is yeah. more ongoing economic slowness. The Europeans have talked about more stimulus. The US will eventually do more stimulus. The central banks will do more printing. And the value of fiat currency overall will decline versus hard assets. And crypto, as Paul Tudor Jones put it very well yesterday morning, is, and this is what I've been saying, not only is it a reserve asset or a, or a, you know, a store of value, but it also comes with an embedded call on the future. And, you know, there is nothing that looks like this. And I know people are like, oh, Christ, why doesn't Ralph shut up and talk about Bitcoin? Is 
I didn't shut up and talk about bonds either. Uh, stop talking about bonds either last year. When you see a layup bet that's so big and so rewarding, you have to pound the table because people don't really understand. And most people are kept out of it by fear. But this trade to me is the trade for the every person. Most people couldn't take advantage of the bond trade, you know, to buy euro dollar options and stuff. It's hard. But this everybody can do. Everybody can find a few hundred bucks or a few thousand dollars to, you know, whatever to get into this trade. And because the risk reward is so big, the upside is really worth it without taking too much risk. Yeah. It's also one of these stories, Raoul, where it seems like no matter what else we talk about, no matter what other topic we uh, are discussing, it touches on distributed ledger technology. It touches on Bitcoin. It touches on the rise of digital assets. Yes. As you and I have talked about, we talked about yesterday uh, between us is, and I talk about it a lot, is there were two paths when I first started looking at this, which was this group of people who were all wonky maths, cryptography, tech guys on a path to think using an engineering mindset, could we create a better system of finance? And then there's a bunch of people who were in my world, which is like, this is all fucked. I, I don't know where the financial system's going to, but this is not good. Right. The massive debt super cycle, the, the aging demographics and the mess we kind of got ourselves in, the excessive stimulus by central banks. And I looked at those a long time ago and said, at the next recession, they're going to meet. And boom, here we are. Everything is now one. Macro is crypto. Crypto is macro. Yeah. And, you know, those are the big secular trends. And then just layer that in to even the even the breaking news cycle stories seem to tie in, as you pointed out earlier, with the need for more stimulus. Right now, COVID popping up in pockets in the United States and in the red states uh, in, uh, I guess it's North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, places uh, where, where it was not hit when we were getting hit earlier in the cycle. And then Eastern Europe, so Slovakia, Poland, Hungary, Czech Republic, terrifying curves in those in those places. Yeah, Spain's 3 million cases. I mean, this is exploding. And I've, I've been warning every single week on this show to say, watch what is going on. Europe made a mistake and everybody's made a mistake. Nobody understands, A, what the virulency of the virus is over winter, but B, the fact that people are together indoors. Yeah. So the virus is taking off. Yes, it's more testing, blah, blah, blah. But hospital rates are going up. Death rates are going up. But the issue being is I always just focus on my mother in Spain. My mother is not going out. Yeah. And she's not spending money. And that is the economic impact that I've been talking about. And this is spreading around. And the US, and uh, it was it came up in the debate last night, the presidential debate, is it is going to be the story of this winter, whether anybody likes it or not, whether you agree with the numbers, whether you think that it doesn't matter, it is going to be the headlines everywhere. Yeah. Um, and what I find interesting is, is understanding the reaction function, because on one hand, if it is a democratic victory, the probability of them suggesting to the states more concrete actions to stop gatherings of people, etc., Forget all of the our liberty or all of this stuff. Slow down economic growth. On the other hand, if they don't, let's say the Republicans win and they don't, well, the whole baby boom population, half of the Gen Xers are not going out. Yeah. Which slows down growth. So it doesn't matter what you do. 
you are going to end up with slow growth. Yeah, exactly, Raul. It sounds like we should get uh, your mom and my mom together on a Zoom call. Boomers are not leaving. They're not spending money. Uh, they're staying put. Uh, and uh, if this continues to worsen, it's likely that that will continue to be the case. And this is obviously the wealthiest generation in the history of the world. Yeah. And I spoke to Danielle DiMartino Booth on Real Vision Plus today on a live interview, and I picked her brains about this. She, like me, is more concerned about next year, too, because she thinks if a deal doesn't get done now on stimulus, she doesn't think it gets done until Valentine's Day, um, till Feb, mid-Feb. So because of change of government and all of this stuff. So in which case, and again, something I've been bringing up every week is this last quarter is extremely risky because the Europeans can't do a lot of stimulus. The US is not going to be, is going to be hamstrung. We don't even know if we're going to get a full election result. We just don't know. So the chance of getting no stimulus, baby boomers staying at home, Gen X is probably staying at home, not spending as much money. Don't forget, everybody spent quite a lot of money over the lockdown. You know, there's a bunch of people who didn't, but there's a bunch of people who did. Anybody who had disposable income spent it on their houses. Right. Um, you, you know, I know I did, right? So I've spent, you know, like three years worth of stuff on my house this year. I think, oh, I might as well do it this year because I'm at home and I can, you know, get it done. So you brought forward a lot of spending. I right. still think the risk for 2021 is not what the market expects. The market expects reflation, return to normal. I've never seen a recession in my lifetime less than 18 months. Mm. I just don't think 2021 is a growth year. I think it's still a recession year. But again, it's early to tell. But that's what I think. And, you know, one of the things I talked about in uh, Macro Insiders this week, I also wrote an article about bonds, how I think with the record ever short position in 30-year bonds, that this is potentially a hell of a trading opportunity uh, as bond yields come lower. I think, again, let's say the election result is not clear. Where are bond yields, higher or lower? Lower. Yeah. It's If the economy is slower than everybody expects, everyone's expecting a full rebound, where are bond yields? Lower. You know, It's very skewed when... I looked at the positioning and just put some standard deviation bands around the mean positioning since the history of the 30-year bond. This is a four standard deviation short position. I mean, it's mm -hmm. ludicrous how short the market is of bonds. They're so sure of growth. And then, as Danielle was telling me this morning, is one of the reasons being because the Fed have been buying tips to make it look like there's inflation coming and break-evens are going, you know, it's it's really distorted price signals, so just be careful. Yeah. I also find your analysis fascinating on basically the human behavioral component of this, and I think you're spot on. It seems as though that demand has gotten pulled forward. People aren't out partying. Uh, they're buying things uh, where their demand is going to be sated. You know, I bought a new television. Uh, I imagine people are buying things like couches, but kind of once you get the new TV, once you get the couch, you do all the things that you were going to do over a couple of years. Look at Peloton. My wife ordered a Peloton bike. It's four months, and I still haven't got it. Right. They're out of stock. So there's this inventory rebuild going on, and then all of these consumer durable goods, have, have everybody's bought everything, and everybody's spent all their money. Um, right. So you know, I, I think that is a very big deal. So the inventory rebuild that's going on right now, because there was no manufacturing over COVID, Right. Makes economic growth look better. Yeah. Everyone's forgetting all of that because they're all getting soaked in narratives. Yeah.
And once you buy one Peloton, you're not going to go out and buy a second, unless we're going to get you on a Peloton. She's which not I would love buying to a second one. <laughs> you're too tall to ride a Peloton, Ralph. I can't see that happening. Exactly. A man of my elegance doesn't ride a Peloton. No, certainly not. <laughs> certainly not. Uh, Ralph, to come back to your Macro Insiders report on Real Vision, you touched on a number of points that I thought were very, was, were very interesting. Uh, it's a long report. It's a deep report. And it's a report that comes uh, from multiple angles. You know, you start out by saying how overwhelming this space is for people who aren't familiar with it. And one of the things that you say very early on is you're thinking about this on multiple time horizons. I think that's a key point. Why do you think about this on multiple time horizons? And why is it so important, in your view, for people to understand these assets in that context? So we're, we're, talking, we're back to the, Chris, uh, the crypto assets now. Because people can't frame the opportunity, it's, we're not, none of us have seen anything like this before. And again, I sound evangelical, I sound slightly ludicrous. But I'm looking at a short-term time horizon where the trade setup is perfect, and that's playing out. We're then looking at a medium-term time horizon where adoption happens, and that's the institutions and the investment advisors and the ETFs and all of this stuff that I've talked about. And then the long-term picture of what is the future of money itself? How does the central bank digital currencies fit in? How does dis distributed ledger technology, blockchain, all of this create a new financial system? And does Bitcoin have a value of that? So there is multiple time horizons, not only in narratives, adoption curves, but you can see it in the charts. And that's what I love. Mm. I mean, in that report, I compared the previous halving cycle to this one. They look identical. And it gives you, again, projections of kind of $200,000 plus for this cycle, which would be the end of 2021. And that's on the log chart and also on the normal price chart. But also when you look at the charts themselves, short-term breakouts, medium-term breakouts, long-term breakouts, when you put it on a, on a regression line with standard deviation um, um, levels on it from the beginning of um, Bitcoin and extrapolate into the future, it gives you a price target of a million bucks. And that's in 2025, 2026, something like that. So, and, and people say, well, it doesn't necessarily need to do that, but this is more like Metcalfe's law. This is an adoption curve. This is an adoption curve in trust because let's ignore the uses of the the blockchain technology let's just assume we're talking about the reserve asset element it's basically a bit of metcalf's um law curve writ large in a price chart yes facebook looked like this once uh, you know th this is huge there's at every level i i've, I've not seen anything that looks like this before not a macro asset not an asset. You're sure you sit in a single stock company. Sure. You know, people made a lot of money out of Peloton, for example. Um, but this is an asset, a whole macro asset that's going to trade like a single technology stock. Mm. I mean, and the most important thing for me with this is why I bleat on about it is this is empowering for everybody.
because of this way you can buy one Satoshi, you can buy the smallest incremental amount. Everybody can participate. It's like, I've likened this to Russia in the early 90s mm. when the Communist Party, or, Put or not, well, Putin um, and Yeltsin beforehand, basically gave away all of the commodities and the companies, all the state companies gave them to people and made them billionaires. This is what this is. This is a gift of an opportunity. But even if you're wrong, because of the skew of the risk reward, you don't have to lose that much, but you can make an enormous, enormous profit. You know, to that point, something that you wrote that stuck out in my mind as I was reading it, and I'll read the quote, I've never in my entire lifetime seen this much talent across these many industries all focused in one space. Bitcoin, crypto, blockchain, tokens, DeFi, etc. are like a gigantic black hole sucking in all the very best talent in the world as it dawns on people how big this technology is going to be. Interesting enough, my old mentor, Paul Tudor Jones, said exactly this uh, yesterday. He said that he made the comment and he had no idea the kind of people involved in this space. And he said, and once I learned exactly how smart these guys were, the kind of vision that they have for the future and what they're building and the kind of passionate community that's behind it, he said, I'm much more bullish now than I was then. And it's the same thing. I've never seen anything like it. I was in the derivative industry in the 90s, right? That was enormous. Goldman at one point was hiring more scientists than any institution on earth, <laughs> particularly atomic scientists, because they were good at derivative maths. So I've seen brain drains before, this sucking of talent. But this is finance people, mathematics people, programmers, engineers, entrepreneurs, everybody. I mean, it's like whew, everything going to one place. I, you know, it boggles my mind. And they're all 10 times smarter than me. But it's also a hive mind. It's, it's open nature. You can basically contact anybody in the space. Um, people will talk to you. People will explain stuff to you. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And still so early. You know, you, and this is sort of how I think about it, but I think it is a good way to characterize the way you view it. You know, I see that there are a couple of different positions that people take on, on these assets in general. The first uh, is the government won't allow it. They're just going to ban it. That's position one. The second, and you hear this from the real partisans inside the community, is the government can't stop it even if they wanted to. Uh, it's something you hear from crypto enthusiasts, from libertarians. And what I take to be your position is, this is too big for both of those. The government is going to co-opt it. The governments around the world, central banks, are going to co-opt this technology uh, and integrate Because game this. theory plays out, right? You've got an incredibly superior reserve asset. So let's say the IMF, the World Bank, G10, ban it. We will not allow it. Well, somebody like Russia will say, well, we're not going to ban it. And we're going to put it in our reserves. So those guys are going to devalue their currency and we're going to have an appreciating currency. There is a game theory when you've got an asset that's so powerful in what it does that means that there will always be cross-border arbitrage. 
Right. So it's very, very difficult to stop. The genie is out of the bottle. And I said that when Libra came out as well. When they announced Libra and people were like, oh, what the hell's Facebook doing? I'm like, oh, my God, this is game changing. The genie's out of the bottle. It will never go back in. And guess what? This week, the IMF have been meeting all week with the BIS, the ECB, the uh, Middle Eastern Central Bank, the Saudi Monetary Authority, with uh, the Fed. Jay Powell spoke. Digital currencies are coming. New Bretton Woods. The New Bretton Woods, which is some way they know that they need to redo the whole lot. Benoit Curé was on um, another podcast this week. So he is the instigator behind kind of uh, um, um, stable coins and digital currencies at the ECB and is now the BIS. I mean, he's like, yep. And he confirmed what I was saying. He's like, yep, central banks know that they can either have a version which is non-programmable um, or they're going to have a version that will allow them to offer different interest rates, different tax rates, different all of that. He said it's down to the individual states what they do. But my preference, he said, and I have no power in this, he said, I would obviously suggest that we should be able to use all of the tricks that I was talking about in the piece that I made on Sunday. Right. Which is like, they can make this tailor-made to completely change monetary policy forever and fiscal policy. Yeah, and combine the two. Yeah, and apply behavioral economics. It's yeah. terrifying and powerful and exciting all at the same time. Yeah. Raul, what are your thoughts about this idea of front-running in the crypto markets? Look, front-running is illegal in financial markets because it gives somebody a advantage over everybody else the idea is you know are aware of some uh, of an order or some flow of business or an acquisition or a merger and you position yourself that's illegal in securities markets but when it works at a macro level it's not illegal because it's public information so what is interesting is normally how front running works where it's legal is some very clever hedge fund figures out that, yeah, you know, maybe the Turkish Central Bank are going to cut rates. And if I do this and do that, I can make some money. Nobody else gets a look in because they've done the work. This in Bitcoin is probably the biggest front running opportunity I've ever seen. It's all legal and it's all to the advantage of the little guy. Yeah. You know, you talk about this from uh, several different angles, uh, some of the uh, new uh, domains where you think there's going to be important action happening. Let's just run through those because I thought this was a really interesting way to think about it. First, you talk about the interbank market. Yes. So, look, we talked earlier about JP Morgan now writing some bits of research on on crypto. And it wasn't the cynical cryptos are scam pieces that you know Goldman put out recently and stuff like that. This was just analysis of the crypto market. I'm like, OK, but not only that, but. One of the world's, and I'm not sure it's been announced yet, but one of the world's biggest inter-dealer brokers is building out a whole crypto team. You know, they're going into a big way. Silvergate, um, the bank, um, which is a public trade bank, now offers like 24-hour um, liquidity for all of these crypto broker dealers, the crypto um, trading firms, all of this stuff, because the banking system doesn't cope with it. So they solved it for the banking system. There's a bunch of people in that whole interbank market. We know all the investment banks are talking about what they want to do. So 
they're all coming into this market. They were pretending they're not. Don't forget, JP Morgan was like, you know, crypto, Bitcoin, it's a scam. They're now writing research, right? That's a year and a half later. They're coming and they're going to try and create liquidity for institutions in size. What a difference 18 months makes. Yeah. Yeah. Talking of which, uh, in the same space, RIAs, Registered Investment Advisors. Well, look, Registered Investment Advisors, firstly, they're not yet up the knowledge curve, but many are. You know, many watch Real Vision. Problem is, is they don't have many tools available where they can put it in their portfolio tools or the platform they work with allows you to do it. So they can't get a ledger and store it for their customers, a bearer asset. It's like this is a difficult for them. Right. So the ETF, that's coming. We know it's coming. We can see the reg the regulators almost every day at the moment making announcements, putting down the regulation, getting everything sorted out. So it is going to get approved. It's not a matter of if, it's when. And the moment the ETF is approved, it's not for necessarily for retail speculation because retail are already in this thing. It's actually for the RAAs to put it into pension assets and saving it for 401ks and all that other stuff. Once you make it easy for them, there is trillions of dollars that is available. So you just need small percentages of that to flow into this and it'll have a huge impact. Corporate treasury functions. We recently had on Michael Seller of MicroStrategy, obviously Jack Dorsey and Square announcing acquisition of Bitcoin for corporate treasury. What do you think about corporate treasury functions? Over time, look, I don't think anybody thinks like Michael Saylor thinks. So he's thinking a longer term time horizon. You know, it's, you know, he built the firm. He thinks of it as his legacy and he has a very unique perspective. But in the end, the moment people start talking about Bitcoin as a portfolio diversification tool and in corporate treasury management. So, you know, if it's all about, Inflation risks, deflation risks, you know, hedging against your bond portfolio, hedging against other stuff. It has a very good place. And I don't think it's very long before Apple and Microsoft and all these guys with, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars in cash um, have Bitcoin as part of their allocation. So, yeah, I think it's obvious that it's coming and not for the same reasons that uh, that Jack Dorsey will have done it because he's a big proponent in space. It'll just come from portfolio effects. It's much like the pension community will come into this later. But right now, nobody in the crypto community is talking the same language as them. They talk in the language of barra portfolio models, barra risk models. Nobody's talking to them about, oh, if you put this in a barra model, this is what it does to your portfolio. So to them, we're speaking a different language. And we say, look at this. It looks like a call option with great upside. They're like, well, this means nothing to me. Show me what it does in my portfolio using the tools that I use, and then I can argue it with my investment committee and my uh, trustees. But we're just not speaking the same language yet, but that will come. Yeah, it's an evolution, isn't it? So if anybody here watching this understands Barra portfolio tools, if anybody can build out some models about what Bitcoin does in these kind of portfolios, I think you'll do the whole space a favor. So anybody can contact me on Twitter if you know how to do that. I don't have access to those tools. I don't come from the kind of pension fund asset allocation industry. But if you do and you think you can do it, a lot of people are very interested to know that because that will move the space forwards. And we'd love to have you on. Yeah.
Um, you know, crypto hedge funds. Today, uh, my interview with Olaf Carlson, we from Polychain Capital dropped a really engaging piece. He has a lot of, uh, I thought, very compelling things to say about how he sees the space developing. Crypto hedge funds increasingly becoming more prominent in the space. What are your thoughts there? It is an incredibly complicated space. Sure, you can have funds that trade the main currencies. That's okay. You can have high-frequency trading funds. That's great. Algo funds, great. What really interests me is the long-short token funds because they all come with different smart contracts, different attributes, different platforms, different success rates. Like This is like the corporate credit market, the option market, and VC market all rolled into one with massive alpha. So we've seen people like Arca, I don't know, last time I checked, we're up like 130% this year. Right, The extraordinary amount of alpha in a complicated space is amazing. So I think that there's a decade or two of a huge boom to come from that space, and that will drive massive liquidity um, as people come more and more into it. Yeah, also Jeff Dorman uh, from ARCA on Real Vision a few weeks ago with me, another compelling interview. Yeah, absolutely. I loved it. Boy, you have to have some nerve to go short this in this space, though, don't you, Ralph? No, you have to have some knowledge. And you know, if you've got if you've got one hundred and thirty percent returns, there is some real alpha in the space. It's like you know we complain all day about the effect of passive flows and the miserableness of markets and why yeah. value versus growth doesn't work. None of that exists in crypto. It's like starting all over again with the opportunity set of forty years ago. I mean, we couldn't ask for more. We can complain all day about current markets and the Fed and it's manipulated and all of this stuff. None of that's in the crypto market. It's pure. Yeah, very well said. Uh, and your final structural tailwind, intergenerational shifts, uh, assets moving from baby boomers uh, to Generation X and ultimately to millennials and Gen Z. Yes. And, the, and I've mentioned this before. As a 30-year-old millennial, that you're starting to get into a decent part of your income curve. So you're putting money into the 401k, and you're stuck with equities at all-time highs, property at all-time highs, bond yields at all-time lows, credit spreads at all-time tights, right? You're almost guaranteed to lose money over the first 10 years. So why do it? But when you've got crypto, it's got a risk-reward skew unlike anything else. It's basically the same as a baby boomer got in the equity market in 1981 when the PE7 and you just bought and held it for the rest of your life, and you became the richest generation in the world. This chance is setting up again. I never thought they'd get the chance. We thought they were screwed. No, they've been given it on a plate. That's very bullish, Ra. Yes, I'm very bullish this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as I and as I said, people are gonna go, I'm sure the comment section will say, Christ, why can't they talk about something else? They want to hear about crypto all day. I'm sorry, but sometimes you see it as the world's best trade, the highest quality trade. And it's not because I'm a crypto maniac. I'm a macro guy. I'm excited because it's an amazing macro setup. Yeah. 
And I've often said, I think the most important investment in terms of the way I think about this right now is my time, learning about this space, understanding the space, unpacking it. It's still so early. You know, there's not even an agreed upon taxonomy uh, of what these assets look like yet. It's, you know, every time I talk to someone different, I'm always shocked at how differently they look at, think about, and understand the current state of play in the space. All the returns come when nobody quite knows what it is, but knows it's something. That's when the best returns come. Once the narrative is fully developed, the returns go. So, you know, that, that, that is what it's all about here, is, again, retail got this first, not the big guys. It wasn't the hedge funds who got the no, and they were like, we've done the research, and we know that our friend, you know, who's told us. No, it's the little guys. Look at them on Twitter, the army of people defending not only Bitcoin, but all the other crypto assets. Those guys started this revolution. They saw the truth because they needed it. Uh, it's empowering. And if I believe in the democratization of financial intelligence, this is a moment in time. And it's not a one-way trade. There will be corrections. There will, will feel miserable for a while. Everyone's going to say, Rouse could total fuckwit for periods of time. That's okay. But I think the balance of probability is massively skewed to the upside. Yeah, different time horizons. If you look at, you go back on that chart on Amazon, uh, there were periods there, one, two, three years where Amazon continued to lose money. Yeah, it's like Keith McCulloch um, had this issue because you know he trades around his system and his models and it got him short of Bitcoin, then long of Bitcoin. And you know he made it quite public and everyone's like, you don't get it. There is no point trying to enhance your returns by trading around it when you've got such a big potential outcome. It's like, it doesn't matter. And the chance of you missing some of the upside by being cute, it's high. A friend of mine um, you know, wrote to me on Twitter the other day and said, listen, I'm thinking of selling upside calls because volatility is very high and I could just keep selling again position, enhance it by 50% returns. I'm like, you can, but you'll end up selling out your position when Bitcoin's going up and you don't get a position back on. I'm like, why bother? The risk return is high enough. You don't need to do anything else. If you want to do stuff like that, do it in the bond market or currency markets where lower volatility, you know, you're not going to get some juicy returns. You can figure different ways of doing it. And this you don't need to just buy it and go to the beach. Yeah. Don't get too cute is good advice in life in general and probably better advice in this space. Yeah. Well, generally in financial markets, my old boss, Noam Gottesman at GLG, uh, sometimes we would try and construct these very complicated trades in the macro portfolio. And he goes, he comes to us and says, I just want to go through the portfolio. What's this trade? And we're like, you know, we're buying euros. He said, okay, so how does this work? Well, it's an accumulator option that buys them over every other day. And it goes on for six months because we think it's a basing pattern and blah, blah, blah. So he said, well, how does the delta work? And how does that, so we don't really know. But it sounds like it makes sense. He goes, why don't you just buy euros? <laughs> he said, usually when you want to scratch your ear, you don't put your arm around your head and try and scratch your ear. Just scratch your ear. And that, that always stuck with me. It's just keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. Raul, once again, we've blown through 30 minutes. Oops. <laughs> and let us know what you think in the comments. This is obviously something that we're evolving in terms of our coverage, how we think about it. Uh, we're at, we're going to start reaching out to a broader array of people in the crypto space. Let us know what you think and let us know who you want to see. And, and just to be clear, this is not crypto platform. There's no change. You've got the crypto tier membership, which is free because we're passionately believe 
that we're running a parallel future financial system and they're meeting together. It's not even parallel. It's converging and it's important. And again, if you don't want the crypto content, fine. You don't need to watch it. There'll always be the great macro content. Nothing will change. It's just extra content. But I want to take a bet with this. And the bet is this is the biggest opportunity of all of our lifetimes in terms of investing and it's a big opportunity for Real Vision to help educate people in a future. Sometimes you have to take a big bet. Yeah, and we've segregated out the crypto uh, tier into the crypto tab. So if you're not interested, uh, you can just skip it. And actually, we're expanding uh, our coverage on the uh, classic uh, Real Vision capital market side. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, macro is where we hang out always. That is the core of what we do, because macro is the framework by which you can understand everything, including crypto including value investing, including VC investing, including building businesses, managing your own business. Macro unlocks it all. That is the knowledge base that gives you everything. And from time to time, it throws out other amazing opportunities too. As I keep saying, the big opportunity is for millennials, if it's not in crypto, start your own business. You know, the upside right now in disruption is huge. So in getting earning income streams that are not owned to somebody else, by creating your own business, and particularly if the business is scalable, these are magic times. It doesn't mean every business will work, but you can take that risk. On Being an entrepreneur is a great bloody trade right now. Yeah, I can't improve on that, Ralph. So thank you very much for joining us. Great to see you, Ash. Have a great weekend, everyone. And don't forget, Bitcoin trades 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Money <laughs> yeah. never sleeps, as they said in Wall Street. Indeed, have a great weekend. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.